0: Have you ever thought about the fact that it's entirely possible that Jesus did not come to save you? That, in fact, you have no right to be saved? I mean, think, think about this logically. Uh, Jesus was the Messiah of the Jews. The, the whole Old Testament expectation was that Jesus or the Messiah would save the Jews from the Gentiles from wicked and pagan Gentiles? And I think that Old Testament Jewish expectation is is pretty um, justified. Think about what the surrounding nations did to Israel throughout its existence, even in the days that Judea or that Judah uh, was Uh, coming to the land that Jacob came to the land, excuse me, what did they face? They faced persecution from the Shechemites. Abraham before him was a soldier and a stranger in the land that God promised. They finally get to the land. And in the days of the judges, the Philistines are constantly on their heels warring and killing their people. In the days of David, David's hands were filled with blood from all sorts of battles, external and internal, for the kingdom of Israel. In the days of the divided monarchy, you have more and more battles from the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, in fact, are infecting Israel. And now the Israelites are worshiping like the Gentiles are worshiping. And then as the political situation got worse and worse, the most brutal nation in the world, Assyria, came and wiped out the northern ten tribes and took them as slaves. This king of Assyria was a brutal man. They would impale people on sticks and the goal was to impale them so precisely that they would stay alive as long as possible and die as slowly as possible and uh, the king of there i realize there's children here listening the, the king of assyria did far worse and gruesome things than that i think it can be completely understandable why the jews would hate the gentiles I think if we were honest, we'd be very tempted to hate our enemies if they treated us that way as well. And then how about when King Nebuchadnezzar comes, the Babylonians, and they wipe out the southern tribes and they destroy the temple in B, 586 B.C. And Israel as a nation is no longer. And they're scattered throughout the empire. How would you feel? If somebody came in here to Norway or to your home country and did that to you, I think we could understand the hatred that would be very natural from a human point of view to to show to those that treated you that way as the people of God. So now that brings us to the question, is there any salvation outside of Israel since the Messiah is Israel's Messiah? And if that question hasn't been answered so far in John, it will be answered very clearly today. As we, re- as we return to the text of John this morning, uh, and I might encourage you for a moment to look on in the inside of the back cover of the worship folder, where I've included the outline of the, of the Gospel of John, we are wrapping up today the Cana cycle. This, this cycle from... Uh, chapter 119 to chapter 454, is bookended by Jesus being in Cana. And there's this cycle where he begins in Cana, he goes to Jerusalem, and he comes back to Cana at the end. And this Cana cycle is divided into three parts, and uh, we've worked through that in these these last three Lord's days. The first part, we we figured out Who is Jesus? We learn that he's the Messiah. He's the Christ. Most of all, he is God himself. As John said, I am the one who's, I'm the voice crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And last week, we saw that it's not enough to know who Jesus is, but you also must believe in him. And a few disciples believed in him, but by and large, The very people Jesus came to save rejected him. The Pharisees, Nicodemus, they did not receive Jesus' testimony. And what we've seen in this Cana cycle is that when Jesus was in Cana, people believed. When he went to Jerusalem, he was rejected. And only a few of his disciples believed. And now we come back and what we're going to see is that Jesus is the Savior of sinners. We saw that Jesus is the Jesus of history. We looked at that he's the Christ of faith, and now we will see this week that he is the Savior of sinners. And we find Jesus in Samaria. And the way this text is broken down, we have two illustrations of Jesus's, two examples, I should say, of Jesus's saving work for Gentiles. We will first see an example in Samaria, and then we will see an example in Galilee with an official there. So that's how we will look at this passage this morning. Will Jesus save sinners? Yes. And we will defend that by looking at these two geographical examples. So I mentioned the hatred that Jews would feel for the Gentiles. Their hatred was seldom matched to that of which they felt for Samaritans. Samaritans were the people who lived just to the north of Jerusalem. The Samaritans were a mixed people. As one old commentator said, they were viewed as a mongrel breed. Which that sounds like something you'd hear the Nazis say, something like that. They viewed the Samaritans as this mixed people. When the Assyrians wiped out the northern ten tribes and they took Israel out, they left some poor remaining to to care for the land. And so, what where I should say where the northern ten tribes were, that land to the north of Jerusalem, it became this mixed ground of some poor remaining israelites and a lot of gentiles that came in as the, as there was great opportunity for a land grab so the jews in jerusalem hated the samaritans with all of their might they hated them and in fact this hatred goes all the way back to the days of of uh, jacob himself when his jacob's daughter-in-law dinah was raped By Shechemites. And lo and behold, we find Jesus near that very ancient city that no longer exists at this time. So we are now in Samaria as Jesus is passing on through and we wonder what will Jesus do when he confronts a Samaritan and no less a Samaritan woman. And we pick up in the text in John chapter 4, verse 8. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus is committing two cultural faux pas at this point, two cultural errors. Not only is he talking to a Samaritan, which is utterly disgusting for a Jew in this time living in Jerusalem, but he's also talking to a woman. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. And Jesus asked the woman for a drink, and she's surprised that he would even talk to her. And he says to her in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And this woman's not quite sure what to think she She's taking Jesus very literally. She's like, yeah, please give me that water so I don't have to come to this well. So it'll save her some time and some some work. And And Jesus says, go call your husband and come here. And Jesus is kind of baiting her on. And not only do we find that this woman is a sinner from the view of Jews as a Samaritan, that Jesus shouldn't be talking to a Samaritan woman no less, But we also learned of her marital marital past and her adulterous present. When the woman answered him in verse 16 and 17, I have no husband, Jesus said to her. You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you are living with now is not your husband. So what John is showing us here is that this woman is a sinner of sinners of sinners. She is an adulterating, five-time married, now sleeping with the next guy, Samaritan woman. And I think that every Jew in Jerusalem waiting for their picture of the Messiah would be expecting now Jesus to judge this woman and to reject her and cast her out of his sight. But what does Jesus do? The woman kind of dodging, trying to dodge the the question of, okay, he found out who I'm sleeping with. She goes, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So she tries to uh, avoid what Jesus just said. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. And so here at this point, you would think that Jesus would have nothing to do with this woman since salvation is from the Jews. But Jesus goes on in verse 23, But the hour is coming, And is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So how does Jesus respond to this woman? And by the way, he's well aware that she avoided the issue of her sin and talked about the right place to worship because the Samaritans worshipped on Mount Gerizim where the Jews rightfully and truly worshipped in Jerusalem, Mount Zion. But what, what did Jesus do? He turned that whole thing on its head. He said, yes, salvation is from the Jews, but the Father is looking for people who will worship neither on that, this mountain nor that mountain but will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And even as Jesus changed the water to wine from those Jewish purification jars in Cana, he is now instituting a new way to worship the Father and it will be a new people that will be worshiping the Father in spirit and truth and it will be a people that is Jew and Gentile. And the woman, amazed by this, said in verse 25, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And just then, John goes on, the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. These true worshipers that God is seeking are now flocking to Jesus. But how did Jesus' disciples respond? By and large, Jesus' disciples were pretty slow learners. For example, even when Peter could say that you are the Christ... A few moments later, Jesus will say to Peter, Get behind me, Satan! When Peter tries to forbid Jesus from dying. The disciples are pretty slow learners. And in verse 31, they come up and they say, Rabbi, eat! But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And they're so dumb that they ask themselves, this is my insertion, not John's, Uh, In verse 33, has anyone brought him something to eat? They're still thinking at an entirely human, fleshly level. Just as the Jews are still thinking in an entirely fleshly level with the Samaritans. And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. They are standing in Samaria, in the land of the sinners of sinners. And Jesus says, look around. The fields are white for the harvest. And Jesus could say that to us today. In Stavanger, look around. The, the fields are white for the harvest. One of the, one of the worst things that churches are sadly known for is judging outsiders. In, in America, there's this one particular church, um, a Baptist church. I don't, won't even honor it by naming it. That is, that is known for going around and, and posting signs that say things like God hates gays or they'll uh, you know, march. It, I mean, just do all sorts of nasty and horrible things. It is true. Uh, and God's uh, God's verdict about such uh, sexual conduct is forbidden and does not please God. But it's interesting in 1 Corinthians that Paul says to them, do not judge those outside the church. God will judge them. Judge those inside. And what the Jews are doing here and what the church, unfortunately, is often known is for judging sinners out there and ignoring the sin in here. And Jesus' disciples are doing the same thing. And he's saying, look around, the fields are white for the harvest The Jews were refusing to reach out to the nations because all they could see were sinners that needed to be damned. And I hope that we are not known for that kind of thinking as a congregation. God will judge all sinners on the day of judgment, but our job is to be concerned about the sin in our midst and to love those who need Christ. So hear Jesus speak directly to us. I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. That's why we're sending half our congregation out to plant a Norwegian Presbyterian church. Because the fields, the mountains, are white for the harvest. That's why we labor in this city for Norwegians and internationals because the fields are white for the harvest. That's why we stay up till 2 a.m. to do the things necessary, because the fields are white for the harvest. After Jesus said these things, in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed because of the woman's testimony, as John says. And in verse 40, So that when the Samaritans came to him, They asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we ourselves have heard, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. In other words, Jesus is the Savior of sinners, of the Gentile world as well. So now we come to a second illustration of Jesus being a savior of sinners. In verse 43, John goes on and says, After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Speaking of Nazareth, he passed right through uh, that town. There's no glory for a prophet. There's no glory for Christ there. So when, in verse 45, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. While the Galileans weren't viewed quite as poorly as the Samaritans, this was another group that was viewed as a a notch down from those living in Jerusalem. And so as Jesus completes the Cana cycle... Returns to Cana in Galilee. We will see what he does. There is an official in that town in Cana who reaches out to Jesus. This official is uh, is probably somebody who is either works for Herod in the government, so he's basically a politician uh, or a political officer uh, who. Is laboring in Galilee most likely? Most commentators think he too is a Gentile, not a Jew, but he heard Jesus is coming, and he heard he's heard about what he's done, and some in Galilee saw what he did because they were in Jerusalem, and he seeks Jesus's help. In verse forty-seven, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as the story goes on, he asked the servants when he got home when his son was healed. And they said yesterday at the seventh hour. And so they knew that Jesus had healed him. And in 53, verse 53, it says that the official himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. We see that. Uh, Word again, sign, as we're in this book of signs or these signs of Christ's glory right now. The first sign in which Jesus revealed his glory was in Cana and Galilee when he turned the water into wine. And now he does a second sign in the same city. And what has come of the revelation of Christ's glory so far? The Jews have rejected him by and large, especially the officials. Some have followed him but he has been largely embraced by Gentiles and sinners outside of Jerusalem, the very city that people are waiting for Jesus to return to as king or the Messiah to return to as king. Jesus is the Savior of sinners. I want to close by talking directly to you about how you view Jesus' attitude towards your sin and to the state you were in when you placed your faith in Christ. I think that most honest, redeemed sinners can testify to times when they have wondered, will God forgive me for sinning the way I did even after coming to faith in him? Will God forgive me? Maybe some of those who are even hesitant to become a Christian because they wonder, I'm not good enough to become a Christian. But here we have clearly and profoundly seen That Jesus is the savior of sinners, the sinner of sinners. Remember, Paul himself, who murdered Christians or who supported the murdering of Christians. God called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles, God saved him. And Paul said the saying is trustworthy and true Christ died to save sinners. Of whom I am the foremost. And I think all of us at various times could say with Paul Christ died to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I ask you to behold Jesus' glory in this section of John as a compassionate Savior of sinners even when we try to avoid the issue as he presses us on certain sins. Just like the Samaritan woman dodged the question when he said, yeah, the guy you're now with ain't even your husband and you've had five before. Jesus still had compassion on the woman and he will have compassion on you if you turn to him and return to him and he will give you living water that will never fail. That is eternal life. We've seen in the Cana cycle a very true and real example and expansion of the theme that we are given in the introduction to John. He came to his own, and his own received him not. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. So if you are a believer, and I'm looking around, I think all of you are Gentiles. All you Gentile sinning believers. If you believe in him, that has been a right that has been given to you by God and you have been born again by the will of God. And if that isn't a confirmation that you are saved, I don't know what can be. But at the same time, I close with a warning. Even as the Jews emphatically hated the Samaritans and thought that they were holy and righteous, There are many people that sit in churches today or many people that have membership in a church who never attend church who think that they're saved. And that's a total lie. They are being totally self-deceived. So do not be like the Jews who were holy and self-righteous and yet were bound for eternity away from God. But let's find ourselves in the shoes of this Samaritan woman and this Gentile official, acknowledging our sinfulness and finding our hope and salvation in Jesus, the Savior of sinners. Let's pray.